Hello and welcome back to the Sassy Podcast with just Vicky this week. As many of you know, it is now July, which means we are full into the next academic year. Kevin, as most of you know, is a surgical resident. And while he had the last year off doing research, the next three years, he's back on all of his normal clinical duties. So he is going to be a lot more busy. He is back on call. So it's basically business as usual. He's currently sleeping because he's post-call, but I'm super excited to share this episode with you. It is 10 big lessons that I have learned in my 20s. I have written down the 10 things that I wanted to talk to you guys about, but I haven't really like fully flushed out each of the points because I wanted them to feel a bit more conversational, a bit more like you're a friend and we're on FaceTime and just kind of talk through my thoughts and the lessons that I've learned. I think my 20s has been a lot of growing pains and A lot of people say that the first year that you graduate after college is typically one of the hardest years of your life because you're basically transitioning from being a, not like a child, but like a young adult into a full-fledged adult, having to take the responsibility of paying your own bills. You know, maybe you are cooking, you are cleaning, um, maybe you're responsible for an animal. You have all of these responsibilities that have previously maybe been shared or you had support on them. And as an adult, you often have to do a lot of these things alone, not to mention filing taxes for the first time. There's just a lot of daunting things, I feel like. The 20s are filled with a lot of growing pains in terms of friendships, relationships. People are coming in and out of your life in a way that I think they never really have before. Nonetheless, let's jump into the 10 things that I wanted to talk about. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Number one, the only person capable of changing your future is you. When I first heard this quote, I was honestly so stunned because the premise of this is that nobody has the power to affect you. Like you are choosing to let something affect you, whether in a positive way or a negative way. I think we often blame others or people around us like, oh, you're making this difficult for me or, you know, you're making this really challenging for me. But a lot of it I feel like is actually self-inflicted. If you do not let the opinions of others affect you, ultimately like you hold that power and you hold that choice on your own. I think a really good analogy that I heard once was, let's say somebody was cursing at you, they were yelling at you, they were calling you ugly, stupid, whatever mean, horrible things they're saying, but they're saying it in French and you don't understand French. Then obviously you wouldn't take any offense to that because you have no idea what the heck they're saying. So in the same way, Uh, If somebody is saying something to you that maybe you don't want to receive, even if you understand it, even if it's a language that you understand, it is your choice to receive that information and let it affect you or you can let it not affect you. And when I learned that lesson, I think it was just very empowering to know that 
first of all, you need to consider where that information is coming from. Is it a constructive piece of criticism? Is it something meant to hurt you? Is this person somebody that I respect, right? And if your answer is no, then maybe you don't need to take that information um, as heavily. It's not weighted as heavily and you shouldn't be as stressed about it. Number two, there will always be love and that's okay. When you go through relationships, especially romantic ones in, you know, your teens, your 20s and into life, I think you build a lot of trust and you build a lot of love. And at that certain point in your life, oftentimes your significant other is the person who knows you the best. They know the things that you like to eat. They know your favorite brands. They know that you don't like arugula on your salads, you know, whatever it might be. And that is such an intimate relationship to have with somebody and to know about somebody. I think that once you love somebody, you will always have love for them. And that's something that I kind of learned the hard way because going through hard breakups in your 20s, I think oftentimes you don't feel like you're totally over them. Like I felt like when I was over somebody, I would just not feel love for them ever again. Like there would be no love. But such has not been the case. It's really been that... I am not in love with these people anymore, but I have love for them. And those are two completely different things. And it's totally okay to have loves for somebody. In fact, I think it's very healthy and very normal. I think about one of the hardest breakups that I went through and I, you know, occasionally we will still talk and I wish nothing but the best for him. Like I wish nothing but happiness in his future relationships. I hope that, you know, in his career, everything goes well and I will always be like one of his biggest supporters and I will always root for him but I'm not in love with him like I have love for him and in the same way you know friendships right I think we all go through friendship breakups some are more dramatic than others some are a slow fade where both parties are mutually understanding that this is no longer a healthy friendship or relationship and you just go your separate ways and other ones are really dramatic and maybe it was a huge blowout maybe you got into a big fight in the same way like I feel like when I was younger and I was immature I wished not like ill intent but I definitely did not wish them the best and now I can say I am mature enough that even if we two are not compatible as friends that doesn't mean that I want bad things to happen to you like I genuinely wish you the best I wish you all the success that success isn't with me but I wish you all the success in whatever you are pursuing When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You may know that earlier this year, I went to my ex-best friend's wedding. So she was somebody who was very close to me throughout all of nursing school. 
I joined UCLA nursing as a transfer student, which means that most of the class was already kind of friends with each other. And then I came a year later transferring into the program. So I would say it was definitely a little bit tougher to make friends just because it wasn't exactly a fresh start. But this girl who I became friends with, like she genuinely became my best friend. I remember just not really having that many friends and she packed me lunches for clinical rotations. She packed me chicken katsu curry, which is one of my favorite dishes of all time. I will never forget. It came in this cute little green container. And we had this really cute thing where we would cook lunches for each other. We did everything together. Like we went shopping, we tried new food places, and it felt really nice to have somebody I could lean on, especially when I was so far away from my family and my home. She was really my support system. And when we graduated, we were both kind of in the greater LA area, but because, you know, with school, you see each other every day all the time. When that no longer is in place, then you have to be very proactive about setting up hangouts and meeting up. And we were both going through some really, really tough transitions in our lives independently, separately from each other. But I think we both just weren't good about communicating those challenges to each other. Neither of us were there to support each other. Long story short, we ended up having a basically like a petty falling out where it was more like a ghosting slow fade where neither of us just really talked to each other. I think I felt not good about it in my heart and similarly she felt the same. Again, like at the beginning of this friendship breakup, I was like, how could she do this to me? I was so upset, so angry. You know, she had unfollowed me. I unfollowed her back. It was this whole thing. But years later, because we had not talked since 2020, so it had been three years, three years later, I thought of her often because I was genuinely like, I hope she's doing well. I saw that she got engaged. And even if we couldn't be friends, like that doesn't mean that I can't wish well for her. Basically what happened was in December, I got an email from her, which is so bizarre because you don't get emails from your friends, but she emailed me and invited me to her wedding. Mind you, we had not talked in three years, but in this email, she had apologized for what had happened in the past and was wondering if I was willing to have a conversation and just talk about everything. I said yes, of course, and we hopped on a FaceTime call and I ultimately obviously also apologized. We, I think we were both in the wrong. Now it's funny, right? Like we look back at the situation and it's like, ah, oh, we were so young, we were so immature, but I'm sure it took a lot in her to reach out to me and that's something that I deeply, deeply appreciate because I'm not sure that I had reached that point of maturity yet where I was willing to reach out to somebody. Initially, I was torn about whether or not to go to this wedding because obviously I had not seen her in three years. Her wedding was also in LA. I live in Seattle, so it's not exactly like an easy thing where I just kind of show up one day. It was a pretty big commitment. In the end, I had a really honest conversation with her because I was like, look, I know we haven't seen each other in three years how important is it for you to have me at this wedding? Like as your friend, is this really important for you to have me show up? And ultimately she said, yes, like this is very important. I'm only gonna get married once, which I totally understand. And so I showed up. We have been on great terms since. She, I still consider to be one of my closest friends. That just goes to say like I, I have always had love for her and I always will have love for her regardless of where our friendship stands. Sometimes I think love can appear in the form of hatred when you love 
somebody so much that it brings out the hate in you because you genuinely care that much. Like you would not have hate towards somebody who you don't care about. So hate actually, I feel like is just hurt love in disguise. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Number three, some lessons have to be learned the hard way. I think, you know, we have parents, we have mentors, we have friends who try to guide us. Oftentimes they are trying to guide us away from the same mistakes that they have made in the past. And it can come across as nagging. It can be annoying. And honestly, some lessons just you can't learn them until you have gone through the pain of them yourself. There are so many times where my parents have warned me, let's say about a certain person, and I brush it off. I defended them to the end of the earth. And in the end, it's always like an I told you so situation. But sometimes you just have to get burned yourself to learn those lessons. And that's okay. Whenever something happens to me, I always think about like, oh, what was this meant to teach me? Because you can learn from everybody, from every situation. It's your choice whether or not you want to learn and grow. The people who learn how to snowboard or ski the fastest are the people who are most willing to fall. And in the same way in adulthood, the more willing you are to make mistakes, then I feel like the faster you can recover from them and not make the same mistakes again. Similarly, number four, there is something to learn from everybody. Whenever something bad or good or anything happens to me, I always think about what is this situation meant to teach me? Is it supposed to teach me patience? Is it supposed to teach me resilience? Is it supposed to teach me not to ever do this thing again? I think there can be a lesson from every pain point that we feel in our 20s. I think I often get stuck in the victim mindset. I'm like, why is this happening to me? Like, why? Why me? Like, why not other people? How come things are going so well for other people, but this is happening to me. If you can get yourself out of that mindset and instead think of it like, okay, well, why is this happening to me? What is this meant to teach me? What am I supposed to learn from the situation? What can I take away from it? When you take yourself out of the victim mindset and in turn, turn it into a growth mindset, you will expedite your personal growth, your learning, your maturity so much faster. Number five, It will never be enough until you make it enough. This is a lesson that I am still constantly learning. You guys know I'm obsessed with Enneagrams and as a three, also called the achiever, basically my self-worth is based on my achievements. And if I am not constantly achieving something, then I feel like my self-worth plummets because the whole premise of an Enneagram three is that I feel like there needs to be a purpose in life. Like living in itself is not good enough. I need a reason and a willpower and achievements and plaques and trophies to show me that I am worth living. I think we can all relate to the feeling of, you know, I tell myself, hey, 
once I hit 10,000 subs, I'll be happy. But once I hit 10,000 subs, I'm like, okay, now I want 100. 100 wasn't enough. How about a million? Now we're at a million. How about 10 million? Whenever you reach the goalpost, you just move the goalpost further. And not only that, I feel like we don't really celebrate ourselves. We don't celebrate our accomplishments. We're happy for maybe five, 10 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, maybe a day if you're lucky. And then you're on to the next. That is no way to live life because problems will always arise in your life, first of all. And second of all, there are always people who are going to be doing bigger, better things. So you will always see new goalposts to aspire towards. So instead of living life in a mindset where you are just never good enough until you hit XYZ thing, you need to learn to enjoy the process. And as cliche as it sounds, you really do need to enjoy the journey because you will never reach the destination. Like the destination is death. That is the end point for all of us, right? And so what can you do between now and then that will bring you happiness, bring you joy, bring you fulfillment? In my 20s, I've thought a lot about what are the things that I truly desire in this life? And when I was younger, I was like, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to be successful. All the kind of traditional things that you would think for. And now my mindset has shifted. I am like, what do all of those things mean to me if I am not happy and I am not content? Now I feel okay working less because before I used to work 24 seven, my mind never shuts off. And now I feel okay. Like, yeah, I can play some board games at night. I can go play pickleball. And that is not taking away from my success. Like the whole reason we work hard and we earn money is to treat ourselves and enjoy life. And so if you're doing all of the work and input now, but you can't enjoy the output until you're old and frail and unhappy, then what's the point? I'm still trying to work on that mindset shift because it is very, very difficult. And I also don't want to get stuck on the other side where I am enjoying life too much and not working hard enough. So finding that balance, I feel like has been really delicate. Something really great that I learned from Ali Abdal's videos is actually the difference between what's called a finite game and an infinite game. So a finite game is played with the intention of winning. So let's say you play like a board game or you play pickleball. Those are finite games. There is an outcome and you achieve those outcomes. Infinite games are where there's no ending. So they are played with the intention to continue to win over the course of your life. So for example, health and fitness, that is an infinite game. You will never be like, achievement unlocked, I'm healthy now. You need to consciously make decisions every day that continue to reinforce that you are healthy. And in the same way, most of life is an infinite game. Being happy, being fulfilled, earning money, you'll never have an answer where, oh, it's finally enough. So if you are playing an infinite game, then it's really important to recognize that and know that because it's an infinite game, it's okay for you to rest a little. It's okay for you to take breaks and take care of yourself. Number six, more expensive does not mean better. I think once you like start to earn a little money in your 20s, you start to get a little bougier, you have a little lifestyle creep. And oftentimes it's easy to just buy the more expensive thing because you're like, oh, maybe it's better. Time and time again, I feel like that has proven to be very false for me. And I feel like I actually find a lot of joy and fulfillment in finding like a good deal. If something works really well and it's affordable, I feel like that's a double win. I feel like taking that idea out of your head that if it's not expensive enough, it's not good enough is very important because that applies to all things, right? Like luxury goods, 
your day-to-day household items. The amount of money that you have does not have to be tied to the quality of your life. Obviously, there's some correlation sometimes, especially for certain goods or for services. But removing the idea that more money and spending more money automatically equals better life was very important to me. I think about like my makeup products or my skincare products, for example, and oftentimes a lot of the drugstore products or things that are actually way more affordable work just as well. Do not let the capitalist economy dig deep into your brain and let you think that that is not achievable just because the price tag is lower. Number seven, declutter your mind and your space regularly. I was having an honest conversation with a friend the other day. I purchased a home in Seattle a couple years ago, as some of you know, and one of my biggest pain points, but also happy points, is how freaking small this home is. And while I will not tell you the exact square footage, I will tell you that while the square footage seems normal, I am spread out on three different floors and I swear to God, most of the square footage is within the stairs. So each of the floors are very small and this house, the way that it's built, just doesn't have a ton of storage. Because of that, it's it often looks very cluttered and there's nowhere to put anything. So it just constantly looks like a mess. Also, I bought a home in a price point that was very conservative, my biggest nightmare in life would be to be house poor. I would much rather, you know, live in a smaller house, but I know that I'm able to afford my mortgage every month and still be able to eat out and do the things that I want. I didn't want it to diminish the quality of my life. But now I told my friend, I was like, I kind of regret it a little bit because I wish I had spent a little bit more money because now I don't have like a room for a podcast studio. We don't really have a room for guests. We don't have a room to organize all of the like the random things that I get. And when I heard myself say that out loud, I almost laughed a little at myself because I was like, oh my gosh, Mickey, you are literally already so privileged. Like, yes, I think I'm allowed to think that, but also I am so privileged to have what I have, to be in the position that I'm in and to have bought a house at 24. And the thing that like really triggered me was that I watched this video of this woman on CNBC Make It where she lives in a tiny home. I forget how many square feet it was, but it was the size of a parking lot spot. And her entire life is in this little parking lot spot. And then I went camping and all I took was one suitcase for, you know, three, four days. And you really realize how little you actually need to survive. Like a lot of the stuff in our lives is just extra. It's clutter. You don't need it. And in fact, I feel like it clutters your headspace when you have physical clutter in your home. In my 20s, I've been very, very conscious of actively getting rid of things, giving them to other people who could better use them, donating them, taking them to women's shelters, whatever it might be. But it is not worth having the physical clutter to clutter your mental headspace because there is nothing more valuable than you having like a sound peace of mind, which I feel like is just not achievable when there's like shit everywhere. And like in the same way, I think digital declutter is also very important. Are you removing people actively from your feeds that make you feel bad about yourself? Like everything that you see on your feed should be adding some sort of positivity to your life or happiness. You should never feel guilty, ashamed, unhappy, angry. Those are emotions that you want to avoid, especially in a day and age where you are constantly being bombarded by media. Everybody's asking for something from you. 
just make sure that your digital space also reflects your mental headspace. One thing that I definitely need to do is declutter my computer desktop because I have a million screenshots, a million PDFs. My downloads folder has over 12,000 things in it right now. So if you haven't done that yet, put it on your to-do list because I will put it on mine and we'll check back in next week. Number eight, some people are just for a season. Again, losing people never feels good and change never feels good. Sometimes you know that you need to not be in a friendship or not be in a relationship, but the change and not having that person is scary. Perhaps there are roles or things that they do in your life that you don't know how to do yourself. Perhaps you find enjoyment and fulfillment in helping them sort through their affairs, you know, whatever it might be. But some people are just for a season and that's okay. I used to define my friendships by kind of like the duration that we've been friends, right? Because there's a lot of friends that we kind of grow up with, you know, and now I'm getting to old enough to the point where I'm like, okay, my friends are coming up on a decade. What would it say about me if for a decade we were friends, but now we're no longer friends? But then there are friends who I meet and literally within a couple months, I feel like I am closer to them than I've ever been to the friends of a decade. And why is that? Because as you are moving and growing through life, your friend of 10 years may not have grown and learned through life or moved in the same direction that you did. And that's okay. If you are moving apart, there are some friendships where you can grow together and then grow apart, but then come together later on. And that's totally normal too. But recognizing that it doesn't always have to be linear growth together, I think was eye-opening for me personally. And genuinely, there are some friends that I have lost recently who have been my friends for a very, very, very long time. Like when I say long time, I mean years and years and years and years. And those were just friends for a season. Those were friends for that time in my life. That was the person that I needed the most. That was the support that I needed the most. That was the support that they needed the most. Now we no longer are on the same path. Maybe we have disagreements in values or we see things differently now and that's okay. Again, like genuinely, I wish everybody the best. There's no ill feelings towards anybody or anything. But just like clothes, there are clothes that are only in style for a certain period of your life or there are clothes that maybe you wear for a decade and then you decide these aren't the clothes for me anymore. I've learned that friends and relationships can also be the same. Number nine, the biggest risk is to not take any risks at all. If you are living life in the safe zone, then you are probably living life incorrectly. If you look at your list of goals, if you look at your New Year's resolutions and they don't scare you a little bit, then they are too safe. You have to have the audacity to dream. You have to have the audacity to ask for something that you feel like maybe you deserve just a tiny bit, but you need to go and fight for it. That is what the thrill of life is and chasing and pursuing something that you know is just out of your league. But if you work hard enough, perhaps you can achieve, I think is one of the most fulfilling parts of life. Having the courage to even set those dreams and write them down on paper, I think is the first step. If you are terrified of your own goals, which I sometimes am terrified of mine, then just do it in silence. Write it down. You don't have to tell anybody about it because they might laugh at you. Sometimes hearing what other people think will 
stop you from doing the things that you know you are capable of achieving. So you can move in silence. You don't need to tell anybody about your crazy, crazy, crazy dreams. And in the chance that they don't happen for whatever reason, nobody will ever know that you had them. But at least you dared and you had the courage to try. And I think there's nothing more important than that. I think I often am scared to take risks because I feel like, oh, I'm not I'm not good enough to take that risk in comparison to others. Like I'm not doing as well. Why would I take this kind of risk, right? You'll often see that the people who get the opportunities are not necessarily the ones who are most qualified, but rather they are the ones who are ready to embrace the opportunity. So ask yourself, are you ready for opportunity if it comes to you? Because if you're ready, it will come to you. What's meant to be yours will always be yours. And finally, number 10. Take even the bad with a grain of salt. It may be a blessing in disguise. This heavily reminds me of the uh, Chinese idiom, which basically means that good things may not be good in the way that you think they are and bad things may not be bad in the way that you think they are. For example, if you asked me three years ago, if it would be my choice for Kevin to do a research year, I would say, heck no, of course not. I'd rather he just do the years of residency straight in a row. Why would we take an extra year for him to do a research year? However, we just finished research year, obviously, and the last year was the biggest blessing of of my entire life. Like I had the opportunity to spend time with Kevin. I took him to Singapore, to Bali, to Japan. We traveled the world. He got to eat all of my favorite foods, meet all of my favorite people, walk the red carpet with me. And none of this would have been possible if he was working a regular residence schedule. We would have to wait until he becomes an attending, which, you know, isn't too far away, but it's still a solid three years away, which means that he would have missed the end of his 20s. He's turning 30 next year, if, in case that wasn't clear. I truly cannot thank his program enough for having this built-in research year because while it would not have been my choice, it was the best thing that could have happened to us. Also, I was just so happy that he was able to rest and recuperate. I think junior call is very, very tough in his program and to have a little break between the two years of junior call was very good for his soul and his mind to just rest a little bit. A lot of you guys always called out Kevin for having white hairs and Funnily enough, even in med school, he had white hairs and in residency, he had even more white hairs. But during research year, a lot of those white hairs went away. So perhaps he was less stressed. <laughs> those are my 10 biggest lessons. I hope that you enjoyed them. If you have any other lessons that you've learned, I would also love to hear them. Please leave a comment down below or on Spotify. There's a feature where you can leave feedback. If there are any big lessons that I you feel like I could learn from, I would love, love, love to hear them. Otherwise, I will see you guys next week. Bye.